welcome. This is the UC Santa Cruz News Roundup podcast for the weeks of June 25 to July 13, 2018. And today we've taken the show on the road. We're podcasting from McHenry Library on the UC Santa Cruz campus. Did you know there's a podcasting studio here? We're in the David Kirk Digital Scholarship Commons, and we're going to be talking about the digital and audio resources available at McHenry Library. And then we'll go into our usual news roundup so you can get all your UC Santa Cruz news. All right, it's a full show, so let's get started. I'm Gwen Jordanay, and I'm an editor in the Communications and Marketing Office at UC Santa Cruz. I'm Dan White. I'm a writer for UC Santa Cruz. And we have some special guests from the library with us today. Christy Golubievsky-Davis, who goes by Christy GD, <laughs> and Scott Campbell. Welcome, Christy and Scott. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, sure. Thank you, thank you for being here. Um, so first, um, tell us your positions at the library and what you do. Christy. Um, so I'm the Digital Humanities Library here at uh, UCSC Library. Um, and um, I also manage the Digital Scholarship Commons Programming. Um, I'm a digital projects manager, and so I uh, actually manage projects for the digital initiatives uh, group in the library. And primarily what we do is we digitize um, paper, objects, photographs, and audio and video. And so this is kind of like I'm, moon, I'm honeymooning, moonlighting, honeymoonlighting. But we're having fun anyway. <laughs> I like that word very much. Awesome. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. And for both of you, but starting with Scott, what does a day look like for you on your job? Um, usually we're uh, working on, as I said, projects to do with ephemera or photography. Um, we also get audio and video requests for uh, from special collections here in the library. So people who want to look at things that have been gifted to the library will request us to convert them so they can use them, you know, audio, video, and photography. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff. I work closely more and more with Christy on, um, you know, individual projects and teaching uh people who come in and they want to use this as a uh, resource for podcasting for their students and other things like that. So, um, I, on the other hand, don't think I have a typical day. Um, <laughs> I have a very wide range of job responsibilities. One of the things that I do is I manage the equipment that we're using right now for this podcast um, and some of the rooms. We have a computer lab here that has some high-end software, like all of the Adobe products. We have a VR lab here, so I work in those spaces, making sure that they're running. Um, we use those for classes frequently. We have a large visualization wall, so part of what I do is work with faculty to make those spaces available on like short workshops things. We run workshops here. We have library-run research projects that I'm involved in. Um, I work with students to uh, help advise some of their projects. Um, I do a lot. Oh, yeah, Great. you do. So um, my day-to-day -day was mostly meetings. Oh, yeah, as is the case with lots of us staff. Cool. You guys have cool jobs. It sounds really interesting. What kinds of audio and visual resources are available here, and are they also available at the Science and Engineering Library? So the resources that we have available um, range in the, the DSC lab. We have eight uh, high-end Mac computers with software already loaded on them for visual, audio, visual, and just general visualization um, creation. We have the, the VR lab, which has an associated uh, HTC Vive that you can check out. And then available for checkout, we have uh, the what we're using right now is a Yeti microphone, which is a USB microphone. We also have, um, uh, what's the other... I forget the name of the other mics. Uh, I think it's an XLR microphone. Oh. A C1 Studio it's Condenser. It's a C1 Condenser, yeah, that's right. Um, there you go. 
So we have those. We have uh, handy microphones that you can take out into the field. We have video cameras, DSLR cameras, and VR kits that are all available for checkout. So you can take them out of the library um, and use them. And the checkout times on those run from four hours to 72 hours, depending on the piece. Great. And are they also available at the Science and Engineering, or should people come to McHenry only for these? People should come to McHenry. Um, the spaces that we have and the equipment we have is housed in, in, in McHenry, but it is available to all UCSC affiliates. So if you usually go to the uh, to the Science and Engineering lab, or well, not lab, uh, library, uh, take a walk down to McHenry, come to the, down, down to the ground floor and um, check out our stuff. We want you to use it. Yeah, definitely. And by affiliates, you mean students, faculty, staff? Students, faculty, and staff. So it's okay. all considered reserve equipments, um, and that's the one restriction on reserve equipments is that it's checkoutable by students, faculty, and staff. Okay, great. And how can students use these resources? Do they need to just reserve it and they can go ahead and do it? Or can they get training or how does it work? So we have some uh, some tutorials available up on our website, which is digitalscholarship at ucsc.edu. Um, we do have uh, support hours that uh, Scott and our students, our DSC students offer. Those are available on our on the website. You can find out when they are. Scott uh, provides support for the audio and video. Yeah. Um, in terms of the equipment, there is uh, you can request to reserve it for specific days or for an extended period. If you have a project, there's a form for that on the website. Or you can just walk down to the media desk and say, I would like to use the Yeti microphone, and they will get it for you and check it out. Great. And I'm just wondering, how often are these resources used, and is it hard to reserve a spot? It depends on the time of year, and it also depends on what resources you're looking for. I would say a typical week, if you're looking for the equipment, you're probably fine. If You can probably walk in and get a piece of equipment, typically. Um, the space is a little harder because the spaces are used for study spaces as well as for their intended purposes. Um, and that's spaces are just hard to come by on this campus in general. Um, once you're about two weeks away from midterms or finals, all bets are off. Um, yeah, so. It's really busy, I'm sure. Yeah. And what kinds of projects are you seeing students undertake? I'm going to pass the projects over to Scott because he works more directly with the technical support. Great. Yeah, certainly in terms of the audio video stuff. Um, I mean, a lot of it is uh, sort of a way for students to talk about um, what it is they're learning and uh, create projects that tell a story. And so they'll be coming in to create a video, for example, where they gather source materials and then they sort of tell a story or a narrative that is, um, you know, that they've sort of cleared with their instructor. Or they might do a podcast where they're trying to demonstrate a certain concept. I mean, a lot of these have been their humanities projects mostly at this point. Um and it's interesting because they, instead of your standard paper or something else, they're looking at these from a, uh, a more audiovisual aspect. So to create, to make a point, they end up choosing subject matter that's more resonant in that frame. And so it's less to do with facts and often more to do with people. And so they end up being more sort of humanistic, I guess you'd say, Stories the way yeah. they're told, so yeah, and therefore podcast friendly. Then something yeah. that really lends itself to the the format. I would right, think. Mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, do faculty also use the resources, and if so, what are they doing with the resources? 
So faculty do use the resources. They're primarily, although it doesn't have to be, um, in, in service of working with a class. We highly prefer faculty who want to do these types of assignments and use our equipment work with us because we can do things like come in and do a little workshop in the class for you to introduce students to the uh, software and the hardware so they don't have to worry about that from the faculty perspective. Ooh, excuse me, I tried to talk without breathing. Um, or, and the other thing we can do is if we're aware of what the, what the assignment is, we can help we can help focus on the text so that faculty can think about what the purpose and the theory behind it is. And we can also talk through some of that. We can also make Scott and our other support aware of what the students are expected to do. Because sometimes we have students who come in and they're they're just not sure what what do they have to do. And sometimes that's the question. What do I have to do to get the grade? I don't understand. And if we know what the requirements are, it's much easier for us to provide help for the students um, and kind of gently guide them in the right direction. Um, And we we do offer that as well for for some of the other services like the VR um, and digital exhibit building. We also actually see instructors who are um, finding ways that they can convert or use media um, for their classrooms. And so Mm -hmm. they might bring in an old videotape or something else that may or may not be you know, available elsewhere, and they'll want to use that. So they, you know, will digitize those things. And so we've seen some of that as well. We can do um, uh, video capture as well. We have a small suite for that you can reserve. So mm-hmm. great, cool. And can community members use these resources as well, or no? Or? So in terms of checkout, it is checking out the equipment is limited to uh, faculty, staff, and students, and emeritus. Um, However, if a community member was working with someone who had the who was a UCSC affiliate, we have no problem with that. You know, we're happy to help with the project. It's just that that checkout um, and I think the room reservations are also you have to have a UCSC email a, a account. Uh, but that's the that's where that gets a little tricky. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And where can people go to find out about these resources? So the best place to go is uh, digitalscholarship.ucsc.edu. That'll bring you to the DSC homepage, um, where we try to do our best to make um, the variety of services we have available easy to find. Well, thank you well, so much for thank being our first so podcast for... guests for this show. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Thank you very much. All right. And we're going to get into the recent news from UC Santa Cruz, all of which you can find at news.ucsc.edu. First, Dan, I have some great news. Our beautiful farm has been ranked among the top 15 college farms in the country by Best Value Schools. That is great news. I know. And it's I'm not surprised at all, to be honest. It is a beautiful place just, with the views of the Monterey Bay. It's almost an idyllic setting. I know. It's just, I feel so calm and relaxed every time I'm there. And the farm kitties are just so cute. The farm kitties are cute. And I've had the blueberries from the bush. Oh, my God. The blueberries straight from the bush are yeah. the best. And they're just like eating heaven. <laughs> After a while, I'm surprised an apprentice doesn't come along and say, okay, you've 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 had enough blueberries. They're like all, all over your shirts. And- um, the 30-acre organic farm here at UC Santa Cruz is part of the Center for Agroecology and Sustainable Food Systems, which is a research program aimed at increasing ecological sustainability and social, social justice in the food and agriculture system. The farm came in at number six on the list, 
which frankly is only surprising in that there could possibly be five other college farms that are better than ours. If there's anything that's more beautiful than our farm, I really don't care to see it. Because I couldn't <laughs> process die. it. Yeah, I would just die yeah. from how beautiful it is. Like, oh my gosh. I don't know. Maybe your face would melt off. My face. Yeah, like the last thing in Indiana Jones where that guy, <laughs> the, the bad guy just melts. The UC Santa Cruz farm is not only a lovely and serene place, but it's also a living laboratory for students and faculty and a working farm. You can get produce from the farm at a market cart on campus through community-supported agriculture boxes or in UC Santa Cruz dining halls. I'm glad to see that recognition. I know. Me as well. All right, next I want to talk about memory. Hey, Dan, do you take a lot of photos for Instagram? I take many, many photos to upload to various social media. Well, you may want to rethink that. Mm -hmm. Research by one of our doctoral students, Julia Soares, has shown that the act of taking a photograph impairs people's memories of the event. So she had people in for some experiments. She invited people to her lab for a virtual museum tour where they looked at paintings on computer screens knowing they would be tested on what they saw. She compared how well participants remembered the paintings following three scenarios. When they just looked at the images, when they looked and took pictures using a camera phone, and when they took pictures using Snapchat. The picture takers consistently scored worse by as much as 20% on multiple choice tests about what they'd seen. Source thought that the result could be chalked up to the phenomenon known as cognitive offloading, right, which we all do, that is not remembering as well because you know the camera's there to remember for you. That is a scary thought, but completely plausible. Exactly. Whenever they used a camera, they were less likely to remember as well as when they just observed, Source said. So taking mental pictures may be our best option, except for the memory challenge like us. Well, I'm a special <laughs> right. case, Gwen, because I took all these pictures for Instagram, but I forgot to upload them. Oh my God. That's so one level up. So it's already getting to me. <laughs> but if, you know, I just have to say that when people are on vacation, they take constant pictures. I'm kind of thinking, be there now. Just, just, yeah. just be there now. There are some rock stars who will require people to check their phones at the door. That's a good idea. Maybe because they're embarrassed that the performance will go badly. <laughs> that could be, too. But maybe because they want to enjoy it in the here and now. I don't know. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. a fascinating report. Yeah. Very relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, on to another combating climate change story, which is an area where UC Santa Cruz is doing a lot of work. Limiting global warming to 2 degrees Celsius, which, from what I can tell, is what the climate, po- climate policy community has agreed is the safe limit, will require not only reducing emissions of carbon dioxide, but also active removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So we got to not only reduce, we got to take out. This conclusion from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has caused heightened interest in so-called negative emissions technologies. A new study evaluates the potential for methods that capture carbon dioxide from the atmosphere through an electrogeochemical process that also generates hydrogen gas for use as fuel and creates byproducts that can help counteract ocean acidification. So it's kind of wonky, but it's really cool. First author Greg Rao, a researcher in the Institute of Marine Sciences at UC Santa Cruz and visiting scientist at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, 
said this technology significantly expands the options for negative emissions energy production. The process uses electricity from a renewable energy source and uses salt water to generate hydrogen and oxygen, coupled with reactions involving minerals that are abundant worldwide to produce a solution that absorbs and retains carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It not only reduces atmospheric carbon dioxide, but it also adds alkalinity to the ocean, so it's a two-pronged benefit, according to Rao. Electrogeochemical methods have been demonstrated in the lab, but more research is needed to scale them up. Rao says it's early days in negative emissions technology, and we need to keep an open mind about what options might emerge. We also need policies that will foster the emergence of these new technologies. This is fascinating. I'm almost visualizing like a giant filter sponge just sort of absorbing the sconge from the atmosphere. <laughs> Although yeah, it's it probably an like oversimplistic that. metaphor, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, it probably is, yeah. but still it's a good one. Still, yeah. Uh, it's all a bit of hopeful news, you know, as we just prepare for coming changes in our climate and we put our brightest minds to possible solutions. I would like to uh, turn the conversation to um, the last place you'd really expect to find it, a thriving art gallery. Well, one would think that a, a demilitarized zone between two countries with a history of hostilities that goes back a long time would be the last place you'd find a thriving and popular art gallery, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, I pretty much thought that was just a wasteland. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I thought, I guess incorrectly, that DMZ event, no person's land. Yeah. That's what I just imagined, barbed wire and like nothing. Right, yeah, that's what I was Like a, maybe a couple well. pigeons, but nothing else like, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, the DMZ doesn't seem like a particularly relaxing area to contemplate a painting <laughs> yeah. or sculpture, but surprisingly enough, there is an art gallery in the DMZ between North and South Korea, which is amazing in and of itself, but not only that, but its current exhibition features the work of UC Santa Cruz art professor Jimin Lee. Cool. This spring and summer, the Young Gang Gallery has been featuring Global Station. Until the next voyage. It's a solo exhibition by Jimin Lee running uh, in, into July 30th. Here's a little bit of history about that particular No Man's Land. Now, it's a 2.5-mile-wide band that is really long. In fact, it's 155 miles across the Korean Peninsula, and this DMZ was established back in 1953 as part of an armistice agreement that ended three years of brutal war. And uh, Professor Lee says the Young Gang is a truly unique art venue and the first ever out art gallery within the civilian control line between the two Koreas. She also mentions, amazingly enough, that there's an air raid shelter right next door. <laughs> now, for his exhibition, for her exhibition, rather, sorry, Lee selected about 35 original print works that explore the movement of the body and objects in space in reference to migration, globalization, and transportation and mobility. She notes that the gallery and a, neighbor, a nearby uh, observatory are major tourist spots in the DMZ. It receives tourists. Since visitors have to leave their ID cards or passports at the checkpoint, she noted that she'll be able to learn exactly how many people might attend the exhibition, which is really cool, too. She guesses that there will be about 1,000 to 1,500 visitors per week, oh both domestic and overseas. So it turns out this could be a little hot spot to, to exhibit your artwork. Holding this exhibition during a moment of possible political and historical change is really special, she added. And now I'd like to move... 
That is a really cool story. I yeah. just want to interject. Yeah. Just, it's just so interesting that someone's doing that yeah. in such an unlikely place. It's almost like, oh, let's hang art on the side of a mountain or, you know, whatever. And to have people come and flock to that, it's it's incredible. I actually would really like to visit this. I don't know how I'd yeah. arrange going to a DMZ if it would be less complicated than going to the actual North Korea. But <laughs> I'd like to go. I, think I I'll, know. I think I'll jump on a plane and try to check there it out. You go. And UC Santa Cruz is there. Cool. Very cool. I don't have that much time to get out there, do I? <laughs> July 30th? Yeah, that's true. Now I find out about it. And moving along to really inspiring story of two pretty recent UC Santa Cruz film and digital media graduate school grads, both PhDs, who became fast friends when they met on campus a few years back. And their names are Alex Johnston. He graduated last year. And Ben Schultz Figuera who got his PhD this year. They're good pals. In fact, Alex Johnson said he hates the word bromance, but he's going to use it anyway. <laughs> well, now I'm really glad to say that their bromance is going to continue uh, in the world of academia, no less, because both of them coincidentally, fortuitously, wound up at Seattle University, which hired both of them very recently oh my gosh. as assistant professors of film. Now, what are the chances in case... What just, are the chances? Because as you, if, if you know a little something about the world of academic hiring and the market for that, for ladder track faculty, you know, the job market is not only ridiculously over-the-top competitive, but it's also anybody's guess where you will end up, right? Yeah. You throw your hat in there. Who knows where you're going to go? You could go to Iowa. You could go to Iowa. You could go South to Wyoming. Dakota, you could Florida. try try to go to New York, but you you know maybe not won't be able to. And it's so they're at this wonderful, desirable location, this great school. Over the years, these two film scholars bonded over B horror movies <laughs> and conversations about film theory. Ben has published uh, gifts. GIFs in Alex's online journal, now a journal of urgent praxis, and now they get to hang out in the beautiful Pacific Northwest and, I guess, compare lecture notes, right? Mm -hmm. And while some might find it daunting to begin a new job in a new city after years in laid-back Santa Cruz, Alex and Ben both feel fortunate that they will have each other to depend on. Anyhow, I sure wish them both the best for their new academic positions. Yeah. Sounds very romantic to me. Should be pretty fun. Yeah, Many very, bromides very, I could share about it. <laughs> very romantic. Maybe they should make a movie of themselves. Just called Bromance. <laughs> and since we're on the subject of bromantic film and academia, no, just film and academic studies in general, I'd like to put a word in for the amazing, the renowned film critic and writer and curator and teacher B. Ruby Rich. Yeah. Um, this eminent professor of film at UC Santa Cruz has received many awards and honors in her career, but this one's really a doozy. Yeah. Doozy and a half. <laughs> She's been invited to join the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences this year. You may have heard of it. Right the world's on. preeminent film organization. The Academy is made up of more than 8,000 distinguished members working in cinema, open to qualified filmmakers around the world, and best known for presenting in rather obscure little televised movie, uh, movie ceremony known as the uh, Oscars, oh. the Academy Awards. So we're talking the big time. And I'm really glad the Academy is including her. She's an incredibly astute critic. Gosh, I hope they don't make her watch, like, Star Wars prequels and stuff. <laughs> Lego movies. She's got to watch everything, right? Yeah, I, I guess mean, she's, she's going to be voting on, the, you know, what she thinks should get Oscars. I think it's really incredible. Right? I hope she, I think so. Yeah. I believe so. And I hope she shares back notes with us about the selection process yeah. and everything. Anyhow, a lot of people have had a lot of justified praise for her over the years. 
Uh, you see Santa Cruz Dean of the Arts Susan Solt has this to say, I've known Ruby Rich for 30 years as a brilliant scholar, critic, film advocate, and expert in social documentary film. There is no one more deserving of this honor than Ruby. It is high time. So congratulations awesome. to Be Ruby yeah, Rich. Yeah, congratulations. It's pretty amazing. Professor Rich, and um, have a lot of fun. Have fun. That. We can say we knew her when, right? We're back. Yeah, yeah. we can. All right. And I hope, it, I hope she gets to go there and walk the red carpet or something. That would be great <laughs> if she walked the red carpet. It shows you just about how much of the process I know, I know. I understand. Like, ah, she walk the red carpet. She should present. <laughs> hope, she, hope she gets to like mingle with all the stars. Hope they give her the right envelope, right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> and the Oscar right. goes to... Yeah. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Happy summer, everyone. Slather on that sunscreen. Pop open a can of your favorite LaCroix. Yep, exactly. Water. Yep, and enjoy the sunshine. Have a good time, and we'll see you next time. All right, sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye.